0: The first four books of the Bible are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And the interesting thing is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the Synoptic Gospels. They kind of tell many of the same stories uh, about Jesus or they recall the same incidences uh, of Jesus, Um, yet they look at it from a different angle. The interesting thing about today's uh, topic is that all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all included. And we're looking at the baptism of Jesus. And uh, if you didn't know this about Jesus, he had six-pack abs. And so uh, if you wanted evidence, there it is in that picture. Now, um, I began to look at this and I was thinking, okay, why would all four gospel writers find it so interesting that Jesus was baptized? And baptism was sort of like Jesus' inauguration, uh, like a ribbon-cutting ceremony into ministry. And so if you have your Bibles, real quick, let's look at this. If you have, look at Matthew, Matthew 1 begins with the genealogy of Jesus. And then the end of Matthew 1 talks about the birth of Jesus. And then Matthew 2 talks about the, the wise men coming to visit. And then the end of Matthew 2, toward the end, or the middle there, talks about Jesus' family as an infant. They take him to Egypt. And then the very end of chapter 2, it talks about the family bringing Jesus back from Egypt. And they're settling in a town called Nazareth. And that all happens while he's little, right? These are all, he's small. He's a small child at the time. And then the next thing you know, we find ourselves in chapter 3. And John the Baptist is preparing the way for the Lord and Jesus launches into ministry at age 30. So you go from infant Jesus, the first couple of chapters, to man Jesus doing ministry, and and there's just nothing in between. I'm sure there things happen, obviously things happen in his life. We just don't have any record of that. And so here we have the baptism of Jesus and this sort of launching into ministry that begins right here in chapter 3. So let's look at it, and then we're going to kind of talk about the question, maybe the elephant in the room is, why would Jesus need to be baptized? It is a really, really good question, and we're going to try to answer that today. But if you look at chapter uh, 3 of Matthew, beginning in verse 13, Jesus went from Galilee. Galilee, by the way, is like a region, um, kind of the upstate, that's kind of a region. So Galilee, um, to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. By the way, time out. How many people in here, just a quick survey, how many of you were ever baptized in a river? Anybody baptized? Oh, some. Some. Okay. It kind of sounds cool to me, honestly. So Jesus goes to a river to be baptized. Um, uh, growing up Baptist in a Baptist church, we had a baptistry, and so it was always behind, kind of back here, and that's where I was baptized as a kid. Um, and I think that's the experience of most people. But um, This was Jesus going to a river. That's where John was baptizing. Um, But Jesus said, uh, John says, hey, I don't really want to baptize you. Why should I? I need to be baptized by you. And then verse 15, but Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. And after his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So the question is, why would Jesus need to be baptized? Depending on what you understand about baptism, this is really, really important. Now, in some traditions, children, babies are baptized. And so, um, like on Mother's Day here, we're going to have a baby dedication ceremony for some churches, that includes something that's called a christening or a baby bab- baptism. Um, we don't do that because we don't really find that in Scripture anywhere. There's nothing wrong with dedicating your child, but we practice what's called believer's baptism. That's when you become a believer, then there's like the first step. The next step is baptism. And Some people, I'll ask them the question, are you a believer? Have you been saved? And they'll say, well, I was baptized. It's like, well, okay, that's not the same thing. Baptism isn't something that saves you it's something that you do once you've been saved and you probably all heard the old story about the um, back in the day back in the south uh, old church old country church and they uh, went down to the river to baptize on a Sunday afternoon and a a drunk kind of walks up and stumbles upon and kind of watches what they're doing and so he feels like it's his turn so he goes out next to the preacher and he stands there and Um, The preacher can tell he's inebriated a little bit. And so uh, the preacher baptizes him and brings him up and says, uh, Did you find Jesus? And the old man said, well, no, and so he baptizes him again a little longer because evidently that's what you're supposed to do. So he held him under a little longer and brought him up and said, did you find Jesus? And he said, no, I haven't found Jesus, preacher. And he held him down again, thirty about 30 seconds, which is what some of y'all need, and uh, held him down a little longer and brings him up and he said, did you find Jesus? And the old man said, is it, are you sure that's where he went down? I, I can't find him under there. Uh, so um, baptism isn't where you find Jesus, you, you found Jesus, and so baptism is this next step once you become a follower of Jesus. It's sort of, just like Jesus's was kind of an inauguration into ministry for us, it is a next step once we find or give our lives to Christ. It's something that we do next. Now, let me tell you, John the Baptist, and I put brief in quotation marks, because so this is going to take about 10 minutes, there's a little history here, but I think it's important for us to kind of get a background for this. John didn't just sort of decide one day. He's preaching, and one day he decides, hey, I'd like to dunk people underwater. I mean, it's not what he did. He didn't invent baptism. It wasn't something he came up with. There was a practice of baptism at the time, okay? Um, If I was a Gentile, which means I'm not a Jew, and I wanted to become a Jew, then baptism was part of the process. And so John the Baptist shows up. And he starts telling everybody that will listen, his message is repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the Jewish people were looking for a deliverer. They were and they, they mostly because in, in the Jewish life, in God's relationship to the Jewish people, it was always kind of cyclical. So God would bless them. And they would prosper, and then they would sort of, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. You've heard that, right? And so they would get a little too familiar with the Lord, and they would kind of drop off a little bit. And And now all of a sudden they're in a downtime, and God's not blessing them as much. And then God would typically allow something negative to happen. It could be a famine. It could be, you know, exile or something bad, uh, occupation of your country. And that would cause them to turn back to God. All right, so... This when John the Baptist shows up, they're kind of in the in the cycle, they're kind of on a downturn. And they're looking for a Messiah. And God had delivered them before. I mean, if you read the history of of the Jewish people, there are people like Moses comes and delivers them. uh, Samson comes and delivers them. David comes and delivers them. There There are deliverers that come along. And so they were looking for the next deliverer. And so John is saying to them Hey, repent. Now, he's not talking to Gentiles who become Jews, but let's talk about that just for a second. Because what, what John does is he takes a sort of a common practice and he makes it, uh, he morphs it into something different, something even more interesting. And so, why might a Gentile want to become a Jew? Well, when God is blessing, uh, look. When a team is winning, everybody wants a part of that. You know, they want to be, kind of be a piece of that. Um, I went to Kentucky this weekend to, to see my mother, and uh, I, I went to Walmart, and I saw two guys with Kansas City Chiefs uh, gear on. If you had a gun to their head, they couldn't find Kansas City on a map. If, I mean, there's no way. Ain't nobody from Kentucky know where Kansas City is. We don't have any idea where it is. But they're winners of the Super Bowl, and so we're wearing their gear. This is why I really appreciate... Dallas Cowboy fans. Because if we wear the gear, we, it's not because we're winning anything. Uh, we are devoted. That's, uh, that's who we are. We are just devoted. You want to know what you call a cowboy uh, with a Super Bowl ring? A thief. Uh, that's who we are. Okay, so. Um, but what the Gentiles might do is they might have seen, oh, God is blessing the Jews. Therefore, we kind of want to be a part of that. The word for that is called being a proselyte and so they go from uh, hey I'm a Gentile I'm going to consider becoming a Jew well you could it's possible but there was a process involved and it was kind of a three step process number one you would bring a sacrifice to the temple and so um, if you were a man you would bring a heifer or two I think two pigeons Uh, a heifer would be that would be an expensive it's an expensive offering by the way Uh, like cattle today are kind of expensive then it was expensive as well Uh, If you brought a heifer, if you weren't very wealthy, you could still become Jewish, uh, bringing two pigeons, that's really not nearly as much money. And so there was an opportunity for everyone to become a Jew if they wanted to. So the first thing is you'd bring this sacrifice. Now, the sacrificial system is weird to us, because we don't do this anymore. But they would draw the blood, they would butcher the animal and and drain off the blood, and they would offer this as a sacrifice, and it's kind of weird to us, but that's kind of what they did. The second thing would be, if you were a male, they would circumcise you, no matter what age you are. Now, uh, Jewish babies were circumcised at eight days, and there's really no memory of the pain of that. But if you were a man, and you decided, hey, I'm Gentile, but I want to become Jewish, I offer the sacrifice. Step number two really probably prohibited many people uh, from going uh, all the way here, because that was quite uh, the commitment, you didn't, um, you didn't impulse by Judaism. I mean, you know, it's not like one day you're saying, hey, I'd really like to get circumcised. You didn't go into Lowe's and there would be a magazine that says, have you had your Jewish makeover? Uh, really, not what would happen. And so there would have been great consideration on the part of a, Jewish, uh, of a Gentile man before he would become a Jew because it included circumcision. It's a big deal. It was a, kind of a permanent identification mark that I've gone from uh, Gentileness to Jewishness. And then the third step, once the wound was healed, you've offered the sacrifice, you've been circumcised, the third thing that you would do is baptism. Now, uh, really interesting, this, I, I, I did a little research on this. I love the history of these things, that's why I kind of tell you this stuff. There was a, a couple of biblical um, writers from early times, two, two or 300 A.D., one guy's name was Hippolytus. Isn't that a cool name? Hippolytus. If all of y'all, any of y'all are looking for your next name for your son, uh, Hippolytus. Nobody else is going to have that. Uh, so uh, you call him Hippo, it would be great. Uh, nobody will make fun of him at school or anything. Uh, Hippolytus, and then another guy named Cyril. And they report that when a person was a Gentile and wanted to become a Jew, the baptism was done, the people would walk into the water, and they would be naked. Now, the men, only men would observe a man being baptized. Only women would observe a woman being baptized. But, but can you imagine the level of humility involved here? Um, and so, they would make this commitment. A priest, if it was a man, would ask them the question, uh, Are you committing to, be, to living like a Jew? And... The Gentile who has offered the sacrifice and has been circumcised would say, I do, and then he would submerge himself underwater. And the idea was, I'm a Gentile, and the Gentile me dies and is buried, and the Jewish me raises up out of the water. The old me dies, the new me comes to life. All right, so... John looks at this. He's seen this. I mean, I would think every Jew has seen this in Jesus' time. And and John sort of appropriates this practice of baptism. And and now he's talking to Jewish people. And and he's saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And and it says in Scripture that people from Jerusalem and all Judea, this, this region, again, all over, and all over the Jordan Valley, went out to see him and hear him. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. And it's like he took something that already existed and he made it something new. And people, these Jews would confess their sins because remember on the cycle of things, they're not at a high point, they're at a low point. And have you ever noticed, you're you're doing life, life is happening to you, And something bad happens, you consider it really bad, and you're annoyed by it, but later you look back and you say, man, I'm really glad that happened, even though it was negative at the time and I didn't appreciate it at the time, but I look back and that really helped me long-term. I talked about my mother a second ago. Uh, About a year and a half ago, someone came to her home. She gets um, her house treated for termites, and so uh, someone came to her home and they checked underneath her crawl space my mama's house is built on pier and beam and and there 's about you know three foot dirt underneath her floor uh, we have She has a floor, uh, but underneath there uh, uh, we have indoor plumbing too, uh, just so you know I know you were wondering about that, but underneath there's kind of uh, there 's where her furnace is, and that 's where I changed the furnace filter and and this termite inspector went under her home and looked around and came up and said to my mother. You need, you know, mold remediation, and you need this, and you need this, and you need this. And she just rattled off a bunch of things that my mother would need. And just, uh, it just so happened that everything my mother needed done, they could do. Uh, amazing, don't you think? Everything she needed done, their company provided that service. And sure, it was only going to cost, you know, $12,000, $10,000, something, a big, big number. And, and so my mama... She's 86. She wasn't born yesterday, and so Mama says to them, um, I'll, "I'm going to get my son to look at it." That, thats me, by the way. Uh, like I, I know all of these things about what they're talking about. But what she was, she—I think she correctly made an, a quick assessment, and she said to herself, "They're trying to rip me off." And so next time I was home, uh, Mom said, "Hey, here's this list of stuff they said was wrong. Why don't you go down under the house? Would you go down under the house and see about it for me?" Like you know, look, I was ten pounds eleven ounces at birth. What mama asked me to do, I'd do uh you know she she doesn't have to talk me into anything i'm I'm indebted forever, and so I go under the house and I go to a part of the you know i i go under there. About once a quarter to change her furnace filter, but I don't go all over under there. In fact, I go in as fast as I can and get back out as fast as I can. Uh, I don't know if anybody in here is claustrophobic, but it's kind of—it's not like fun under there. And so—and there's bugs, and, and so uh, uh, not a great time under the house. But I go to the part where some stuff was evidently supposedly wrong, and you know she has insulation under there, and some of it had fallen, and it really did need to be put back up. It wasn't $10,000 worth of problems, but it, there were some couple of things. And I happened just happened to be down there looking at stuff, and I noticed that she has a vent on her furnace that the pipe had rotted completely out. I mean, it, it wasn't like a little hole. The top of it had caved in. It probably hadn't been replaced in 40 years. Or ever. That house has been there for a long time. And so... I repaired it, but what was happening was all that carbon and monoxide was going into her house. Okay, so here's the point of the story. What somebody intended to take advantage of my mother ended up me, God, working out for the good because I got to a place under the house where I noticed something I would have never noticed otherwise. You never know what God's doing with difficult circumstances in your life. And I know you have much, much more difficulty than that. That wasn't a difficulty. But really, honestly, these people, what my mother perceived trying to take advantage of her, ended up honestly saving her life. Now, that that wasn't their intention. It wasn't what they were trying to accomplish. But that's what it accomplished. God used something bad and he made it something good. And here in the life of Israel, back to our story, they're on a down cycle, and they're looking for a Messiah, and everybody knows that um, before the Messiah comes, there's going to be a forerunner. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, and his name is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist goes out, and he's saying, hey, y'all, we're not where we need to be spiritually. We've we've gotten kind of lax. We're not being obedient to God the way we need to. And so if you want to up your game, if you're kind of a and kind of a moderate, kind of a um, cultural Jew, but you want to be in right standing with God, if you want to, to be in a better place with the Lord, then let's do something. And the something we can do is, hey, it's just like the Gentiles, where the Gentiles have to be baptized in order to proclaim their Jewishness. Why don't we who are Jews say, uh, we'll get under the water and then we'll come out and we'll say, we're making a public commitment, a public profession, that we are going from mediocrity to being sold out. That's what John did. That's what he was preaching. And so Jesus shows up. Now, John intuitively knows that Jesus is already sold out. So, uh, What John is asking everybody else to do isn't exactly what Jesus is going to do. But Jesus has the answer. So if the question is, uh, why would Jesus need to be baptized? Or maybe, what what does it mean for us? Then Jesus gives the answer. The first thing is, it's an act of humility. So Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. Um, In other words, Jesus says, hey, we're going to do this because... The Lord says that we should. Um, obedience to God is all He ever asked for. Honestly, it's all He's ever asked for. O- obedience is all He expects. It's all He's ever expected. It's all He wants. It's all He's ever wanted. Now, uh, when we disobey, He welcomes us back home. But if you'll recall, here's God and he, he needs to choose a people and He picks a guy named Abraham. And this is what He says to Abraham. He says, serve me faithfully, obey, in other words, serve me faithfully and live a blameless life and I will covenant with you by which I guarantee to give you countless descendants. If you obey, I will bless. And guess what the message is for us today? If you obey, he will bless. Now let's, uh, let's pump the brakes just for a second. We live in such a materialistic world that we think when we hear the word bless, that means I'm going to be healthy, I'm going to be wealthy, I'm going to get anything I ask for. That is not the promise. In fact, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. What God is saying is, you obey me and it will work out in the end. There's eternity. Eternity is much longer than this little existence that we have on this little planet called earth. Eternity is forever, and it will be a blessing forever. And so, God is just asking us to obey, and Jesus always obeyed. There's this really cool text in Philippians that talks about Jesus' level of obedience. And Paul writes, though he was God, speaking of Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus lived a consistent life of obedience. Here he is, he's in heaven, he is God. And God the Father says to him, I need you to become a man and I need you to be crucified. And so on the scale of obedient things Jesus did, being baptized was really not nearly as... as severe if you will as taking on human flesh dying on a cross he was always obedient just like I said a minute ago because uh, my mother gave me birth and I was 10 pounds and 11 ounces I'll do anything she asks me to do guess what Jesus did everything and anything his heavenly father asked him to do he just did so baptism is this act of humility i get in the water and it's uncomfortable and everybody's watching and i'm gonna get wet and and so what i mean it's a small thing to do compared to all that christ has done for us taking on human flesh going to a cross he even set the example for us but it's more than that it's also an act of commitment an expression of my commitment to the lord So, Jesus sort of um, launches his ministry here. He's saying, hey, this is uh, next level for me, and the baptism kind of takes us to the next place. Jesus identifies with us, and he commits to us. I took one of the girls, and I can't remember which one it was one time, to the doctor, and she had a little bit of sickness, and so I took her to the doctor, and the doctor diagnosed it. And in the diagnosis, he said, okay, what we're going to need to do is give you a shot, now, I have, you know, I have four daughters, and one, whichever one it was, she was very little. And she looked at me, and she said, with those big eyes, you know how little girls are? Oh, my word, they're just great. And she looked at me, and she said, Daddy, is it going to hurt? And I thought to myself, you can bet your ponytail it's going to hurt. I mean, they're going to stick you, and you're going to cry like a stuck pig. I mean, it's going to be horrible. It's horrible. But what do dads do at that moment? We lie. And I said, no, honey, it won't be too bad. And I looked at the doctor, and I said, Doc, could you give me a, sh- uh, a shot first, and and I'll show her. Okay, it was Miriam, but still, uh, the whole point the whole point is great, right? Uh, somebody showing the way, C- commitment, and Jesus was showing the way. And, and and look at this verse: after his baptism, Jesus came out of the water, and heavens opened up. And the Spirit of God descended like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son, in whom I am of great joy. Obedience and commitment always leads to affirmation. It always leads to affirmation. It does every time. Obedience and commitment lead to affirmation. And so this was sort of a next step in Jesus' life. He lived a, a sinless life. He gets to 30. It's time to launch ministry. And so he's baptized. We have ceremonies like that today. Uh, think about graduation. What's graduation? It is a passing from kind of one stage in your life to the next stage. And so we go to those high school graduations and they wear pizza boxes on their heads and and they uh, pass the tassel from one side to the next. And it is a celebration because this stage of their life is over and now they're on to something else. And it's the same with college. This stage of their life is over and now they're on to something else. We just do that. Weddings are like that. We, we uh, stand in front of a group of people, and we say, I'm making a commitment. It's, I'm taking this relationship uh, to a, a different place, uh, more than it's ever been before. Uh, one of my daughters, Mallory, is getting uh, married in May, and uh, her uh, husband, my future son-in-law, um, was baptized last week. It's really cool. And I got to watch it because it was streaming live, and it, I mean, I love technology, and I got to see that in uh, it, there was just really emotional for him and for us. And there's this level of commitment. And when you get married, there's this level of commitment. Uh, can I read this little story to you? Because I think it's cute. The preacher's wife asked her husband how the wedding had gone. And he said, well, it was going great until I got to the part where I asked the bride if she was willing to obey her husband. And she said, do you think I'm nuts? And the groom said, I do. And then it really went downhill from there. Uh, Baptism um, is an act of humility and commitment and it's an act of identification. R- remember, the voice from heaven, God says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. When we're baptized, we are uh, making these uh, sort of commitments. And Here's the problem with our world today, especially our society. We live in a hyper- consumeristic materialistic world i had in my notes and i thought this is ridiculous it can't be true that we see 3000 uh, commercials a day 3000 it seemed like that is just that's un that can't be right maybe it was 300 and i put too many zeros so this morning i woke up and i'm like I, i'm not going to preach 3000 cuz that just seems ridiculous so i did a little research on on my phone real quickly this morning The estimate today is between four and ten thousand a day. If it's three hundred a day, we are bombarded with advertising trying to convince us to buy something that something's good for us. With Christianity, a lot of times all we see are the benefits, and there are great benefits. It is a huge benefit to follow Jesus, his love is limitless. His grace is undeserved, also limitless. His acceptance is unconditional. I mean, there's great benefits to following the Lord. There are great benefits to following, but there's also responsibility. We like Jesus except when He says stuff we don't like. You ever notice that? We really like Jesus, or at least the concept of Jesus, or our our idea of Jesus. But Jesus said some tough stuff sometimes. I mean, he really said some difficult things. One time he said this. He said, if you openly and publicly acknowledge me, I'll freely and openly acknowledge you. If you commit to me publicly, I'll commit to you. And if that were all he said, then we could kind of walk off and be happy. But then verse 33 happens. But, however, if you publicly deny that you know me, then I will deny Before my Heavenly Father, I know you. We we don't like those kinds of words because they're not warm and fuzzy. But here's the, the point. We make a commitment to Christ. It needs to be a public commitment. We need to live in such a way. We need to act in such a way. We need to do certain things that show people that we are followers of Christ. When a person is baptized... They raise their commitment level to a different place because everybody watching now has a different expectation of you when you're baptized. And you go under the water and you come out and everybody now knows. Everybody's seen. Everybody knows it. You've made a commitment and it has been public and you've done what Jesus has asked you to do. And some of you may not have ever done that. And if you haven't, you should. It is a great next step in your life. And it doesn't make you saved, but it is a commitment, and it is going public with your faith, and I think everybody should do that, and it is a great way to do it. Next week, if you'd like, we have an opportunity. We're going to have another opportunity later in uh, near fall, so we, we provide these opportunities for you, but if God has put that on your heart, you need to come see me like right after church. I'm going to hang out right here in just a second. You just come talk to me, and we'll, we'll visit about it, and I, I'm, I don't have coronavirus, so you can come talk to me. Uh, I've I not been tested, but I'm pretty sure. And uh, you can come hang out with me, and we'll, we'll visit for a bit, and, and we'll talk about what it means to be baptized. We'll sign you up. We'll do it next week, because it'll be awesome. It is this next place, next level of commitment. I'm going to end with a story. This is trash. This is Colleen Dykman. She lives in uh, Babylon, New York. One evening she was preparing supper. She took off her wedding rings uh, to wash the dishes. Uh, Somehow they got thrown in the trash. She then tells her husband, hey, they're picking up trash in the morning. And so he takes the bag of trash from the kitchen and he puts it in the dumpster. And they come and collect the dumpster the next morning. In the when she wakes up she realizes she doesn't have her wedding rings on she remembers that they were near the sink she goes and investigates and then she remembers oh I've thrown those away and she chases the garbage truck down about a mile away so now they've picked up trash before and after her house and the wedding ring is in there somewhere and they the trash truck guy calls his supervisor, his name's Edward Wiggins, and he says, what am I supposed to do? And Wiggins says, you're supposed to see if you can find her a ring for her. So they stopped their truck route. They dug through six tons of garbage, and it took them four hours. And you would be thinking, "Here's," I'm just going to tell you the truth. After about 15 minutes, I am done looking through trash. I can tell you that right now. I'm done. Fifteen minutes, that's all I, you know, I'm buying you a new ring. It's all over with. They looked for four hours. And even then, you have to, the, the odds cannot be good. And yet, here's a picture of her with her ring because they found it. I love this story. Because it reminds me of Jesus and me. And you. We live in filth our own sin. I was talking to one of my friends just a minute ago about all the dumb stuff I did when I was a kid. I did so many dumb things. I've sinned and that's not just when I was a kid. I have sin in my life and I've, I've messed up and my life is, I've lived in the trash. And yet, I'm so valuable to Jesus. So are you. That he's willing to give up heaven and come to earth. And he's willing to go to a cross. And he didn't quit after 15 minutes. And he didn't quit after an hour. He didn't quit until the job is done. This is what I love about Jesus. So if he asks me to be baptized. To express publicly My commitment to him. I'm going to do that. Because he's worth it. And he deserves it. Miss Dykeman rewarded. Her new friends. She baked them cookies. And every Christmas she has. Something for them. Because. She appreciates what they've done for her. A little bit. Just a little bit. Baptism is like that for us. Jesus has done so much for us. This is a little ask that he's made. So we should do that. Father, I thank you for the teaching today. Thank you for the example that Jesus set for us. Help us to be obedient. We know that's all you ever ask for. Lord, I pray that you would guide us in all things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.